Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, praise God. How's everybody this morning? Good? That wasn't very convincing. You good? Come on. You know, we, we walked into the uh, intercessory prayer room, which we do, and you're all invited at 930 if you'd like to come. It's just, and you could feel this like heavy. There was those, I'm in the wine press, and we're walking through the, and then all of a sudden we broke out in song, and like you could feel the whole atmosphere shift. Bishop said, did you feel that? <laughs> like, there's something about worship that just he inhabits the praise. So if you ever get in a place where, uh, just in spite of it, even you know, your flesh, you know, I just want to go cry somewhere. <laughs> Turn on the music and start, like, worshiping Him. I guarantee it'll shift things around. It is just a promise. So, hallelujah. Well, I've been, we've been traveling for a few weeks. We went up to Virginia to the Cry base there and did a breaking free for about 25, 24 people there. That was amazing. Then we went to, uh, my wife and I went out and visited grandchildren both in Texas and, uh, and then on to New Mexico to the Air Force Base, Kirtland Air Force Base. And uh, I had been wrestling, if you'll pull out this... Um, your pamphlet, where's my, let me grab mine. I had gotten this pamphlet in the mail from, uh, well, all right, there we go. Um, and I was wrestling with this, a nice, you know, your, your, the title of the message here, nice, easy listening, right? It says, what does the Bible say about the transgender movement? And I thought, man, Lord, I don't know. And so I read this, and then I went to Texas, and one of my grandchildren just mentioned to me, came to me and said, hey, Papa, uh, he's 11, and he said, uh, this guy came in in my class last year, and then when he came back this year, he says he's now a girl, and he's dressed as a girl. What's that all about? And I'm like, okay, maybe I need to address this. And then we've had some conversations with some of the parents one night on a Wednesday night here, and uh, they were sharing. And so... Um, let, let's start, I know this is like, whoa, but let's start with, turn, turn your handout over. If you've got your outline, you're going to need this this morning. And uh, I pray that you don't get a headache. Pat says when she was typing it, she got a headache. <laughs> I said, come on now, Pat. Um, let's start with the biblical basis of sexual identity, right? Let's start with that, the basics of, of things. First of all, in the Scriptures, why don't we turn... On that back page, very bottom, you see where it says there, 2 Timothy 3.16, bold at the second to last from the bottom? This is in the New Living Translation. It says, all Scripture, everybody say all. All, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful, it's useful to teach us what is true. Make us realize what's wrong with our lives. It corrects us, teaches us, there it is again, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, there's another scripture. You can just jot this down next to that in the margin. Look it up. But in Romans 15.4, it also speaks of scripture that is given. And in 2 Peter 1.20, 2 Peter 1.20, it says, The prophets spoke not as men, but as those under the influence of God's Spirit. And so, Scripture, now, 
I don't know about you, when, when I was a brand new Christian, I've been a Christian now 40 some odd years, and, but when I was a brand new Christian, I was like, how do I reconcile Old Testament, New Testament, how about the tension in Scripture that says this and it appears to say this? And um, so I want us to, I want to ask you a question. Let's, let's start there. Um, what is the difference between moral law, civil law, and cultural law? This is not in your handout. It's at the top, but we'll start with that. First of all, what's the moral law? Ten Commandments, right? Does it change? Does God change? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So the moral law, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt honor God above all things. Honor your mother and father. Have no other gods before me. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Those things are moral scriptural laws that God put in the those tablets, and they haven't changed, right? So the civil law is, let's take this one, maybe 2,000 years ago, don't drive your donkey more than one mile per hour in the streets of Jerusalem. <laughs> but here, don't go down to Northway greater than 70 miles per hour. So civil laws have changed, right? It, it's changed with time, with technology, right? How about cultural laws? In the cultural laws, in uh, let, let's take the, if you go to some of the countries we've been in, the cultural there is the way you do handshakes are different, right? Certain hand signals you don't do because they mean something else there. Just uh, in full burkas, and all you see is their eyes. Culturally, they stay covered. That's not so at Wrightsville Beach, right? Culturally, maybe it should be, but uh, I just leave that there. And so. So there is moral law that doesn't change. There's cultural laws, and there's civil laws that change. Civil society has different rules, right? And so they change with time and with culture and could even change with country to country, as we see. So I'm saying that as a laying a foundation that what's in here, we have to be able to discern when, when Paul says women should cover their heads, that was a cultural thing 2,000 years ago. Women don't cover their heads today, right? It was also this thing about men's hair lengths. And um, a few weeks ago, uh, Philip Garris was up here, I think it was when Lisa was preaching, and he came in because he had one time been in pursuit of the um, orthodoxy, of the Jewish orthodoxy. He came in. Did you see he had, the, he had the scriptures on his head? He had the wrappings around. When you go to Jerusalem or you go into Israel, you'll see the Orthodox Jews, or even in New York City, you'll see it. Um, you'll see them dressed culturally in a, in a representation, but that's not for everyone. And Paul says, for example, he might say, I, Paul, this is in Timothy, he says, I, Paul, don't allow women to teach or have authority. I, Paul. But when he's in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, I got this directly from God himself. This is the way communion flows. And so in the, in the rightfully dividing truth and understanding the difference, if you, if you don't understand moral, civil, and, and, and cultural law differences, you can say, well, how does that work today, right? Do I have to go get curls to, no, you don't have to do that. And so, so I make that point that understanding and rightfully dividing truth matters. But all Scripture is inspired by God, right? When you got 66 books written over 1,500 years by so many different authors and it all fits together and works, 
There is, I mean, we could, we could do this here. If I started that conversation over there and, and we spoke to each other in ear, by the time it got over here, we wouldn't know what it was. We can't even get it straight in one room. And yet this, through different cultures and seasons and times, has standed the test because God inspired it and he watches out for it. I lay that as a groundwork because it's important if we're going to rightly divide truth. All right, let's turn with me, if you will, to Genesis. Let's go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 24. I may bounce between the King James, which is the word-for-word translation from the 1600s, and I'm going to do maybe the New Living Translation, which is a thought-for-thought translation. Verse 24, Genesis 1, 24. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, wild animals, and all that has happened, God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. Let's stop there. At our farm, we have a rooster and we have a chicken. There is no chicken, little chicks, without the rooster and the hen, correct? There's no Chick-fil-A if that were not so. I know that's very basic, but let's just keep the, you know, the main thing the main thing here, right? So he made each one after its own kind. Let's go on. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, and of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the animals that scurry along. God said, look, I've given you every kind of seed-bearing plant. Verse 31, he says, then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Very good. Okay, now I understand Bible-believing Christians, that is the biblical basis of creation. And so now let's turn back to, turn with me to Isaiah 45. The prophet Isaiah written 700 years before Christ was born, prophesied a virgin would give birth. He was an amazing prophet. And so in Isaiah 45, let's begin in verse 8. Isaiah 45, 8. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the whole earth open wide, so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does clay pot argue with the maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing this wrong? Does the pot explain, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to the father, why was I born? Or it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel who created, the, you are the creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you have, give me orders about the works of my hands? 
I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands I stretched out the heavens, and all the stars are at my command. So it's kind of like a little foolish to, if you ever think of someone who's a creating a pot, and would the pot stop and say, you're not doing this right, I don't like it. <laughs> so I always tell folks, you know, I wish I had been six foot two. I probably could have been a really good football player. But I didn't get blessed that way. People with different, I wish my, I remember some of my girls, I wish my hair color were this, my eyes were that. I said, God's the creator. Stop trying to tell him he didn't do it right. Embrace what you are, right? Who knows? If I had been that, who knows what would have happened, right? And so we have to settle down and realize he's the creator of all good things. And he created you just the likes of who you are. Stop trying to be somebody else. My wife's got something hanging on the refrigerator that says, stop trying to be someone else. They're already taken it, you know, something like that, right? And so this, this uh, desiring to be something we're not, why don't we just embrace him and thank him for who we have and who we are, right? All right, so moving on, let's turn. What did Jesus say about this? Turn to Matthew 19. In Matthew 19... Let's begin in verse 4. This is a debate. The Pharisees, the religious leaders had come to mess with them. I like how he starts out. Of course they had read the Scriptures. But he says in Matthew 19, 4, he says, Haven't you read the Scriptures? What a thing to tell the religious priesthood, right? Huh? Yeah. Jesus replied, The record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So he emphasizes again that Genesis scripture we read that he, God creates male and female. And so let's move on. Turn with me to, well, you know, if you want to, you can also look at another scripture. In Ephesians 5, Paul does the same thing. He says, this is a mystery, right? He says, how a man is joined to his wife, the two become one. It's in that scripture where a man is supposed to love his wife like Christ has loved the church and die for her. All right, turn with me to 1 Timothy 4. Now, this is a familiar scripture, I'm sure. But as we, as we wind down the last days. And I believe prophetically you can, you can go and you can look at the prophetic significance of what's happening. We have looked at this. We've looked at the book of Ezekiel, Revelation, the book of Daniel, the prophecies of Isaiah. We have spent some time in that. But as you look at, we believe we're living in the last days. And there's a warning that Paul puts out that I think is relevant for where we are in the society and in the world at this moment. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Warning against the false teachers, it says, now 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith. King James says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving in to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. 
For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So Paul tells us it's going to get really ugly. There's going to be demon spirits deceiving and teachers that rise up. Now just turn a few pages to the right to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3. This is actually Paul's final will and testament within a few years of writing this. This is his last book, many believe. From the writing of this, we know shortly after that he's martyred by Nero on the same day that, um, that Peter is, be, is, is crucified upside down. So he writes this as a last will and testament to his spiritual son Timothy, and he says this, the dangers of the last day, 2 Timothy 3.1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Here's a spiritual dad who knows he's not going to be here, but he's telling his spiritual son, this is what's coming. Now, I want to... Follow on with this. I'm going somewhere. Turn with me to Romans chapter chapter 1. Just laying the foundation of what I believe biblically is a foundation we can stand on that when we get into a debate with teachers, with administrators, with people that are of a different political view or different spiritual view, you can not get angry, don't have to get belligerent, but we can stand. We have a, remember, this word gives us how to stand and what is true, right? It corrects us when we're wrong. Okay, in Romans 1, you can read that whole chapter, but I want to pick up here. In Romans 1, let me just state this. This is, this is a belief I have. When you reject God, who He is, you start down a pathway of a deep, dark hole. It's the rabbit hole that... If you stay in that, you get more and more dark. You get more and more confused. In fact, I don't know about, I'm getting electrocuted right now, so I, the Lord's just saying amen, right? And so when you are in a place where we reject God, we start rebellion. You know this. If you get off track and you start opening doors of sin or you don't do what God has asked you to do, there's this dark place that starts to happen and you feel the separation, Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've been there. When I backslid bass before as a pastor, there was this place where, man, I opened this door, and pretty soon I feel separated. I feel ashamed. I feel I'm not in the, I'm not in the safe place. Does that make right? I've lost my peace, right? We know that. And so if you take that to a deeper, darker hole, people who have absolutely come out and have rejected God, there is this progression that Paul says when you do that, this opens a door that goes down such a deep hole. He says this in Romans 1. This is a Gentile church in Rome, and he writes to him. Let's pick up in Romans 1, 18. 
It says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Right? He goes on and says, ungodliness is unrighteousness of men who hold truth in unrighteousness. It's King James. They know the truth about God because it has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. My little grandbaby, Rosalie, was born a couple weeks ago. She was here in her first service, right? And you look at it, you go, whoa. She was laying on the bed last night. I'm like, oh my God, she's so little. It's like, yeah. But then you just gaze up at the stars. Go look at the diversity. You are without excuse. Even the, the atheists, or the, they have to believe in evolution, but they still got to use God's stuff to get there. <laughs> it's, anyway, that's another study. Okay, so what does he say? He goes, there's no excuse. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. This is the ones that, you know, they say, well, if you add a billion years to evolution, that's how the mud became. So you still got to start with God's stuff. And just because you put time in it, I love what uh, Chris Volatin says, take two Volkswagens, crash them together, and it makes this Corvette. But if you put a billion years on it, then it works. You're stupid. I mean, it's just, they become utter fools, Right? They claim to be wise, but this like utter fools. And so God said, okay. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So what happens? Verse 24, here's the consequence. God abandons them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they live vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They did these degrading things. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen? Amen. This is why God, this is why God abandons them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex when instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to foolish thinking and let them do things that have, should never have been done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, shame, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, quarreling malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent ways, new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, they break their promises, they're heartless, they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, if you go on and read chapter 2, it says, don't get so wound up with your self-righteousness. You used to do some of these things too, right? Praise God. So let's, you know, let's remember it's all about the blood and the grace, right? And there's none of us who have arrived. But at the point, here's my point. You see the progression of rebellion against God, rejecting Him, leads you into this dark confusion and chaos. Now, there's another scripture. We won't turn there, but 
Remember in uh, Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, The sins of the father visit to the third and fourth generation. But he says, I will bless to a thousand generations those who love me, right? We don't know. I don't know. I, I know some. 300 years ago, what were your grandparents doing? Three and four generations. You don't know, right? But it says the visitation of iniquity is allowed. In fact, you go on and read the study on that. Do a Hebraic study on Exodus 20, verse 5, and you will find out that it says the whole family is affected by the sins and the iniquity of the forefathers and foremothers. That's why when we do prayer ministry, we make sure that that soul tie connection is cut and the blood is washed through the generations. And now we have a person who says, I love God and every one of my children and the legacy of my children shall now be blessed in accordance with the Abrahamic covenant. Amen? Blessed to thousand generations. But we don't know what's going on. So when the rebellion starts back 300 years and every family line's got it, you look at that and we're looking for the generation to come into alignment with God. But if it doesn't, there's a spiral. And when you break down family structures and when you break down the belief in God who is the creator, you open yourself up to all sorts of crazy, chaotic, godless thinking. And we just have to pick up the Old Testament study the generations of the Hebrew leadership who didn't follow God, and then he's required as God to bring judgment, and he does. That's why they were exiled. That's why, right? But he promises. He's always this long-suffering God. I'm just looking for people who will come back. All right, so I've set this basic. I believe that all creation comes from God. Turn the page over, and let's read the first paragraph there. We as people believe... We as Bible-believing Christians hold to the biblical worldview that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. Society and customs change with time and culture, but the Word of God, is He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The moral with society level, whereas, God's, whereas civil laws and cultural laws have changed over time with society. As an example... The prophet Daniel, when he was exiled, he complied and honored the laws of Babylon. Even though his family, they believe, had been murdered, he was made a eunuch, he was taken away and brought into captivity, he still honored the king until they set it up where he would have to violate the law of worship of God. And so we see that in Exodus 20, but we also see it in Daniel 3 and 6 there. You can look at those chapters. When Daniel was faced with do I cave in to the cultural civil law of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon that is now contrary to I will have no other gods before me? And he said, I will not. We know that from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Live, O God, O King, but we will never bow. Well, then you're going in the fire. Doesn't matter. We will never bow. We will not compromise the moral law, the moral law of God. And so in the setup, we know God delivers them, right? So in this case where we are now, here we are faced with, quote, the transgender movement. This movement is seeking to educate our children and expose them to change a biblical view of identity and worse even, to modify the laws of our land that would make it illegal or discriminatory to challenge them biblically. I want to give you, this is where Pat got a headache, so Lord, I pray no headaches, right? First of all, what does the term, and you say, Pastor, why are you doing this? We're in a place, this is the culture we live in. 
you're going to get faced with it, whether it's your grandchildren or not. They're going to come home and they're going to tell you and they're going to ask you, what is this all about? And so I'm trying to give you biblical basis and a discussion point. That's why I purchased all these that you can have. This is a very lengthy discussion by, I think, a very reputable force. Tony Perkins is an excellent family, uh, the Family Research Council. You take this home. There's a couple more, but everyone was given one. Take it home and just either put it away, read it, but there's a time coming when you'll say, well, where do you stand on this? All right, first of all, what is transgender? People who identify, number one there in the background, people who identify psychologically with the sex that is opposite from their biological sex. Just a note, there's those, well, you know, there's people born, yeah. There, this often, the transgender activists, they look at this, but they say, look, in fact, there's a group called intersexed. They're born with a confusion of their sexual organs. Sometimes they're born internally, but that is around, most statistics say that's around 0.05%, 0.005, right, percentage of the, popula of the population. That's a small thing. And they, so this is, and usually that's corrected either by surgery. Number two, psychiatric association under activists in 2013 resulted in the American Psychiatric Association changing the diagnosis of a transgender condition from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria. Well, what is that all about? Dysphoria, look, I gave you the definition at the bottom, is a state of unease or general dissatisfaction. They kept it that way so that if you have this mental disorder, you can still get hormones for conversion or you can have treatment for surgery. But I want you to see that this, this disease is someone says, I'm not comfortable with my biological identity. But there's some other interesting statistics that get glossed over. There are those that say from the transgender activist movement that there are boys that are born in girls' bodies and there are girls born in boys' bodies. There is no scientific evidence of that. I searched and, all right, it sounds good. Research, in fact, I don't know about you. Again, I've done thousands of ministries, and people who tell me their prior story of dabbling maybe in a homosexual thing, doing things, or being in a place where they were abused sexually, and so the majority of them have come through this. They've grown out of it, right? But statistically, it says 75% of those who have struggled with this confusion, when they become older, they no longer carry that as a trans, they don't, they don't call themselves a transgender adult. In fact, research number four there actually shows that social transition and sexual transition do little to reduce the actual underlying mental health issue. It's masked. I know this is a little heavy. Just hang with me for a minute. The LGBTs, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community, have now joined together to attack both natural and biblical views of sexual morality and sexual identity. And they often, you'll hear this often, they label Christians as bigots, homophobic, and discriminating. It gets worse. The U.S. Supreme Court in June of 2015's decision to favor a redefinition of civil marriage between same-sex couples because they, they've got that victory. Now they've shifted the focus on the demands of transgender activists to be accepted as gender identity 
the one that you would choose. There's a new one called fluidity. You might be a woman next week and a man next week or a horse tomorrow. There's this whole fluidity. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, it's just like it seems to be Romans 1 in spades. I mean, I'm not a horse, and you can't marry a horse. They, I saw this thing. Anyway, that's another story. Okay. Number seven, the acceptance of a preferred identity opens counter-civil rights arguments on the assignments of bathrooms, locker room tight. In fact, sports competition. Biological men, you've got women now really uptight. In fact, some of the LGBT are now upset about this because you've got men that says, I'm a woman, and they're now competing in women's sports and breaking all the rules, breaking the records, right? And so this whole thing is splitting, but it says, hey, biological men now competing in women's sports and sharing showers and bathrooms with women as an example. Number eight, February 2016... 20, uh, the Charlotte, North Carolina City Council adopted an ordinance adding sexual orientation as gender identity as a protected category under discrimination, including public accommodations. What does that mean? Allowing biological males who self-identify as females to use restrooms, locker rooms, and showers designated for females. In March of 2016, the North Carolina Legislature, House Bill 2, stated government-owned buildings would be provided and separated on the basis of sex in accordance with your birth certificate. And this set off a whole firestorm, if some of you followed that, if you remember. In May, remember, the NBA came, and they were out playing our games here, and all of that pressure that came back, right? In May of 2016, the Obama administration, number nine, the Department of Education and the Departments of Justice wrote a letter to every public school district in the United States, informing them that failure to allow students open access to restrooms, locker rooms, showers that correspond to their gender identity that they choose is illegal under federal law. Over 20 states have now sued the federal government over this guidance. The battle for the bathroom wars is now on. Here's their legal argument. The Obama administration argued that requiring transgender people, including school children, to use bathroom showers and locker rooms that correspond to their biological sex at birth rather than what they chose an identity is a form of discrimination under Title IX. The lawsuit against the federal government by 20 states and others continues with the intent. In fact, the argument is there, you can't discriminate. That, that 1972 law says you can't discriminate against male or female in job locations, etc., right? They've now broadened that that says if you choose a gender, then you're protected. Number 11. I'm sorry, number, yeah, number 11. When we look at the sexual identity of this that we saw biblically, we see now that, first of all, this is kind of frozen. It's in the courts and it's working its way through. You've got 20 states plus many different organizations. But there, it's not uncommon now for administrators in the school, and I've had some school teachers and those tell me that work in that, that this thing, the pressure they get is, is real. And so that have actually been sued or lost. No school district that I know of as of uh, two days ago when I searched this that have actually been sued or lost funding or anything like that. It was a ops letter from the, from the president 
from the school to board and uh, from the school distribution as well as the Department of Justice threatening their belief that this is what it is. You can't discriminate. But to this point, so there is one of the lawsuits is a family whose daughter was being exposed in a locker room to someone of the other sex sued the school district. And that thing is one of the lawsuits that's working its way up. So you can see that um, we're in a place, one, we need to pray. Two, we need judges who are going to be in a place that are going to, one, look at the Constitution and, you know, from our perspective, biblically based people, right? And so that's why this thing, when you look at the Kavanaugh, uh, the, the whole approval of Kavanaugh to be a Supreme Court, that thing got so ugly. Remember we sang this first song, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but spiritual war. That's what this is. When you look at what's going on right now, this is not a flesh and blood fight. This is a really strong spiritual war that's on. So I want to encourage you as we land this thing that take a few minutes. I know it's detailed, but put it in a place that if you get to a place where someone starts to tell you that you're a bigot, in fact, what about the religious freedoms and the religious rights that we have when the counter-argument is you're now infringing on the rights of us to train our children and our own beliefs? Religious freedoms. This thing, this is a significant battle, but the pushback is we're silent and the majority is very loud. And it's time for the people of God to say, you know what? No, I'm not a bigot. I respect your difference of opinion, but I will not, and I will educate my children and my grandchildren, and I'll educate the church based on what I will be held accountable for, which is biblically true, that God created male and female. He stood and said it was a good thing, and for us to mess around with that and try to change it is opening a door that 300 years from now, if we're still here, that hole is going to be so big, God is going to have to do something. And so... Let's stand. I know this is heavy, right? But it's important that we can handle these kind of biblical discussions with people without being ashamed, without being angry. So my request on the bottom of the page here is that you become a parent and a church that are influential in advocating for truth. But don't be angry. Don't, we, we just stand and say, I don't have to come. I got in this debate with somebody out in Texas. We may have a difference of opinion. I presented for an hour and a half the biblical basis of what I saw and what I believe to be true. I could tell they moved, but they haven't communicated back with me since. <laughs> and so we, we don't have to be arrogant. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be bigots. This is what we believe. I love you anyway. If, if a transgender person comes in, a, a homosexual, we love all people. We're not here saying no. But whether you are dabbling in drugs or alcohol or pornography or adultery or you're doing some other sin, we're going to call you out on it. We're going to ask you to make a change. We'll provide a way for freedom, but it's not acceptable. This is not ChristianMingle.com and do whatever you want and hope that the grace of God will cover it. It is not. This is true. This is true, right? And so we stand in truth, all gospel, right? Romans 1, we're not ashamed, Paul said. Now, Paul faced the ultimate price. Okay, it's still good. <laughs> He's singing with the, all right. Thank you for being patient with me. Lord.
Lord, I ask right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would release favor over our government. Wherever there's confusion, Lord, we know that we said, Paul warned us there would be deceiving spirits. The trouble with deception is you don't know you're deceived. In fact, you're pretty sure you're right. So God, we have no corner on all truth. We need you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us in truth. I thank you that the word helps us to walk this out, to clarify truth for us. But then you tell us to love, even pray for our enemies. But God, we will not compromise. There's a difference between holding the line and compromising. So God, I pray for our government. I pray for our leadership, our school administrators, those in places of influence. And God, any of those that are trapped in any deception, God, set them free. Let, let the favor of God fall. Lord, we thank you in advance that you, you love us, God, and, and you have a good plan. You cannot wink at sin, and you cannot excuse it. So, Lord, we thank you this morning, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you love us, God, and I ask for your freedom to flow in the house. And now may the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. I want to invite the ministry team if you'll come, worship team if you'll come. Why don't you play that song again, Sarah, Miracle Worker. I just like it. And If you're here this morning and you need a healing in your physical body, it would be really good to come and let someone lay hands on you. In Mark 16, it said, these will be the signs of them that believe. If you've got any torment, I've had some feedback that people have been dealing with some torment in their lives, lack of sleep, even strange behavior by animals. This is, this is a crazy season. I mean, we just finished that whole crazy witchcraft stuff, right? And uh, the activity... Even the Wiccans and the Warlocks will tell you the, the atmosphere is very thin there for demonic activity. So when a dog starts behaving weird and growling and looking strangely and hiding, and it's like, what's that all about? So just be aware that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're not ashamed. And it says, take a firm stand against the enemy, right? So, Lord, I just pray now, Father, that you, as a miracle worker, if there's anyone here that has any torment, any struggles, lack of sleep, just hear the word insomnia. If you're struggling with insomnia, for what I suggest, racing thoughts, a lack of peace. One suggestion, I suggest this to someone recently, they were struggling at night. I said, before you go to bed, practice the presence of God. When you get in bed, just welcome His presence and ask the angels to cover this person woke up and said, wow, that was good. So, Lord, I pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, miracle-working God, we thank you. Now, may God bless you and keep you. God bless you all. Thank you. Don't forget, Monday night, men's group tomorrow night, wonderful things Wednesday night, teaching here at 630, Mary Esther and the team. So, God bless you all.